What a- I'm the lead pastor that has been. If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. My name is Chase Sears. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I didn't get a chance to meet you, I would love to do so. I typically stand out in the lobby after the service. Don't be intimidated by the people talking. I know who I can shoo along to get to you. So if I don't recognize you and you're standing there, I will, I will make sure that uh, we get a chance to talk because I would love to meet you. Hopefully you got a chance to enjoy that breakfast. It was fabulous, wasn't it? Yes. And thank you to Mindy Ames and, uh, and Amy Hevener and Mary Wallace and the whole fellowship team who makes those type of things happen. Um, and I'm sure right now some of them are still working so that we could have been blessed. And, uh, and, and we truly were. And if you are a guest here... You got to experience the fellowship, and now you're experiencing the worship. This is a taste of heaven. This is a community that you can be a part of if you trust Christ, where you can have a family who will love you, and you can share a meal, and you can worship the risen king. And we do this every Sunday. Not the breakfast part, (laughs) but we do this every Sunday. See, we are a people who have staked our souls on the truth of the resurrection. We have staked our souls on the legitimacy that Christ himself is now alive. That's our only hope. We have put all our eggs in that basket. There is nothing else. And we're okay with that. We're confident that Christ has been raised Because if he was not raised, the scriptures remind us, we'd be most to be pitied. Why would we be here? But I am confident, and I'm sure that you are, that indeed Christ has been raised, just as the scriptures foretold. And for that reason, if you do have a Bible, I ask that you open it up to Psalm 30. If you don't have a Bible, I believe some of the chairs, we brought in like a lot more chairs today, but some of the chairs should have Bibles in front of them if you don't have one, but we'll have the scripture up on the screen. We'll be in Psalm 30. Psalms are in the Old Testament, and typically, if you open up your Bible right to the middle, you'll be pretty close. You either need to go just a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, but Psalm 30, and you'll notice if you have a copy of God's Word in your lap, this is a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of Of the temple. Let us read the word of the Lord. David writes and says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. And give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. 
I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, for those of us who are familiar with the Easter story, we can't help when we read this psalm to start thinking resurrection, can we? I mean, reading this, we, we see themes of resurrection abound like a garden full of flowers blooming on a spring day. And yet, if you look at the very beginning, right before verse 1, this is a psalm of David. It doesn't say a psalm of Jesus, but a psalm of David. Well, and what, what's the, why are we preaching about David on Easter. Well, in one sense, this psalm is about David, but in another sense, it's not. Let me consider the first sense. The psalm, in one level, is about David. David, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, David was the first true king of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. And this psalm... Um, relates about his life and his experience as the king of Israel. In particular, this psalm reflects the thanksgiving and praise which David has for the Lord who has delivered his life from certain death. Now, we're not exactly sure what the situation is that David speaks of in this psalm, but if you're familiar with David's life, his whole life was marked by trouble. He was often for his life, he experienced many life-threatening experiences. For instance, as king, he experienced what it was like to have enemies plotting to take his life. As king, he experienced times of great sorrow and loneliness. As king, he experienced crying out for God and for a season hearing no reply. As king, he experienced the absence of God's presence, and he found those times terrifying. This psalm describes one of these times where death seemed so sure and God seemed so distant. Yet in the last hour, when all hope seemed to be lost, when tears of sorrow had been completely emptied, the Lord, verse 1, drew him up. The Lord heard his plea for mercy, and the Lord healed him, verse 2. The Lord heard his cry by turning his mourning into dancing, verse 11. David must be talking about a, a magnificent turn of events that has occurred in his life. Now, why was this psalm written? Well, we see why in verse 4 where it says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. That's us. Sing praises to God 
and give thanks to his holy name. Why do we do that? Why would this be an occasion in this psalm for the people of God in the Old Testament, that is Israel, to praise God about the life circumstances of David? What's the connection between the king and his people? Well, the connection is because the king lives so the people can live. Because the king lives so the people may live. And the king received favor from God as he recounts so that the people may receive the favor of God. The points aren't yet ready here. This is just an introduction. As king, David represented the people over whom the Lord had entrusted him. And so in one sense, this psalm is about King David and the favor that was rested upon him. However, when we turn to the New Testament, we find that the psalms, particularly psalms like this one, Psalm 30 or or Psalm 16 or Psalm 22 or Psalm 110, these psalms that say Psalms of David, oh, there's more than meets the eye in these psalms. They are looking to something far greater than to their initial audience we find that these psalms speak of another David to come, a son of David. And this one is going to sit upon the throne forever and ever. Peter in Acts chapter 2 was preaching from Psalm 16. And he says of David in that psalm that David was speaking concerning Jesus. He goes on to explain that David, being a a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. So in the same way as we come to Psalm 30 this morning, David speaks of Jesus, looks forward to Jesus, raised from the dead. David's experiences foreshadow a greater David to come. And so this psalm is now filled for us with greater significance for us, greater hope for us, because Jesus is the greater David who secures the favor of God, not just for a lifetime, but forever. And so, yes, verse 5, joy comes in the morning. Easter morning. Easter mornings when the joy comes. And we saw that as, as, as Pastor Nathan read from the Gospel of John and in really all the Gospel accounts. It was early in the morning that they arrived at the tomb, right? Stay with me. Early in the morning. That's right. Our children are listening. And they found the stone rolled away. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and other women who are with them, they come to the tomb. Although they had been weeping through the night, the angels, when they see him, says, Why are you weeping now? It's morning. It's morning, ladies. 
Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And so this morning, this Easter morning, I want to exhort us to give thanks and praise to God. I want us to sing and praise and give thanks to God as verse 4 of our psalm calls us to. Because Jesus has been raised. And his resurrection is for our ultimate good and his glory and those things aren't two different things. I want us to see that God's favor upon Jesus now rests upon everyone who takes refuge in him. Have you taken refuge in Jesus? Do you find him as your only hope? When I said we've put all our eggs in this basket, have you? Are you just hoping for something in this world to satisfy? Are you hoping that something in this world will carry you through the grave? Because it won't. Because you need the one who's actually been to the grave and come out on the other side. And so I want us to see that that all that Jesus has is the king. All his glory, all his might, all his splendor, all his inheritance, he freely shares with all who come to him by faith. And so for this reason, we're summoned by the psalmist to sing praise and give thanks to God's holy name for rising Christ from the dead. And in particular, here's our first point. We give thanks for deliverance from the pit of death. You see that in in Psalm 1, or 30, verse 1. I extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. See it in verse 3. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. We see in the psalm that Jesus exalts God because he was delivered from the grips of death. Unlike David, who came close to death, Jesus actually experiences death. As the writer of Hebrews states, he tasted death for everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that word tasted, I think sip. That's what my kids do with their sippy cups, with their juice and their milk. They they got sippy cups, and they they drink and suck on those things uh, for long periods of time because they're taking little bits every time. I want you to know that Jesus didn't sip death for us. He chugged it. He turned the cup up, he drank death dry, down to the bone, the last drop. He drank death till it was no more. And this is why this imagery here is so vivid. He he drew me up, you see. That imagery here is, is like that of drawing a bucket from a deep well. A well as deep as death. And he drew him up. We'll see in verse 3 that this well of death is a pit called Sheol. We don't talk about Sheol. Maybe you're more familiar with the term Hades or hell. Last Sunday we read from the Apostles' Creed, which speaks not only of Jesus' death, but his descent into hell. Here it is, right in the psalm. He goes down to the realm of the dead. Jesus truly went down to Sheol among, verse 3, those who go down to the pit. Who are those who go down to the pit? Who are those who go down into the well of death? Well, sinners, the wicked, the unrighteous. And this is where Jesus went, but he didn't stay there. 
Jesus, as Psalm 16, says, he was not abandoned to Hades. But he was restored to life through the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, though weeping may tarry, verse 5, though it may tarry through the night, though weeping may take residence in your home through the evening and the morning, weeping hits the road because resurrection has happened. Life from the dead has happened. And so for this reason, we do not lose hope for in Christ. Though our outer self is, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so for this reason, we sing this morning. We give thanks this morning for God raising Christ from the dead. Because his death or his deliverance secures our deliverance from death. But it also secures our vindication over our great foe. We see this in the psalm as well. The end of verse 1. Not only was he drawn up from the well of death, but, but in raising Christ from the dead, the Father has not let his enemies, his, his foes, rejoice over him. Because Christ is risen from the dead, his enemies can no longer gloat. Sure, they thought that they had defeated him through his death. Sure, they, they mocked and ridiculed him as he hung on the cross. But when morning came, their joy became mourning. You see the difference? It's the opposite for us. Now, who are these foes? Well, certainly it was the Jewish leaders who falsely accused Jesus. Those enemies who plotted and sought for his life and delivered him over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. It was also the soldiers who, who beat him, who mocked him, who spat at him, who punched him. It was the crowds who, hardened in their unbelief, cried out and said, We have no other king but Caesar. Crucify him. But there's still a greater foe. A greater foe than all of these. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. The father of lies. The murderer from the beginning. In the resurrection of Christ, God did not let the enemy rejoice over Jesus' death. Rather, though, through his death and resurrection, he crushed the head of the serpent. He broke the curse of sin and death. How did he do that? How did he do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the principalities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's what occurred in the cross and the resurrection. And for this reason, Jesus is now able to stand before his disciples and he say, All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. It's been given to me. Well, how's that, Jesus? How do you have all authority? Well, he says, Because I died. And I live forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Well, how'd you get those, Jesus? Because I went there and got them myself. Are we awake this morning? That should be good news. 
And so because I have the keys, I went to the realm of the dead, Abraham's bosom. I told that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I went down there and I unlocked the keys and I put the devil and his angels in there. And everyone who does not trust in me, I will not let out. But all who trust in me, I will release you from the pangs of death. Do you see the power of the cross? And so, my friends, if you're in Jesus, death does not have the last laugh. Many of you are mourning. Many of you are grieving. You've experienced death through a loved one or a friend. Maybe you feel the pangs of death in your own body. And this psalm reminds us, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Furthermore, we are to praise Jesus because we no longer have to face the wrath of God. We rejoice in the rescue from God's swift judgment. That's that's why the people are called to sing and give praise. In Christ, the anger of God has already come. The moment of God's anger, verse 5, has already passed. And now is the day of salvation for all who will believe. But this is only because Jesus experienced the wrath of God in our place. I want you to take note in verse 6. This is a point of, if you want, of contrast between the earthly David and the greater David, Jesus. But it is powerful when we understand its fulfillment. David in verse 6, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David was greatly blessed in his kingdom. He had defeated all his enemies. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Mountains were associated with kingdoms. Nobody moves a mountain. Yet, David in his arrogance experiences the absence of God, the disciplining hand of God. He says, you hid your face. And I was dismayed. I was terrified. But what I want you to see is that Jesus, the greater David, experienced a greater dismay, a greater terror, a greater hiding of the Father's face, though he was not guilty. He was the innocent one. Though Jesus had walked obediently according to God's will, he had submitted himself to God's purposes, he had placed his complete dependence upon the the Spirit, he bore the wrath of God, though he himself were not a sinner. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he was sin itself. And this is why Jesus cries out Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we see at the end of verse 7. The Father hid his face. Now to be forsaken by God is to have him hide from you, to be absent from you. But to have him hide his face is more than merely the absence of his love. It's the presence of his wrath. 
David understood that in a, in, a, in a lighter sense. That's why he says, for the anger is for a moment. David says, I experienced the anger of the Lord when he hid his face from me. And that is the reality of hell for all those who do not trust in Christ. Yes, hell is the separation from God, but it is the separation from God's love, but the presence of his wrath forever. And Jesus experiences the presence of God's wrath and anger. Under the discipline of the Lord, David cries out, verse 8, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. And I love this. Be thinking of Jesus. What profit is there in my death? Well, David, none. None for you. What, what profit is there in my blood? You might see a footnote next to your word death. What profit if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Oh, there is no profit in the blood of David. But there is much to be gained by the blood of Christ. Oh, there is great profit in his death. For he gave his life as a ransom for many. For the blood of Christ, we read in the scripture, has been poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It was by his own blood that he obtained the church. It was by his blood which served as the propitiation for our sins. And by his blood we have been justified, securing for us an eternal redemption, a covenant of blood. Brothers and sisters, get this. If you're a guest today, get this if you don't hear anything else. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had lived your life so that he may treat you as if you had lived his. On the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the great exchange and so if you're wondering today, what are all these people all hooting and hollering about singing? Why are they celebrating at such an extent? It's because God now treats me like his son. He doesn't see Chase Sears in all my faults and all my failures and all my evil and all my wickedness. No, when he sees me, I am covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has taken off my clothing, a sackcloth, and he has put on the cloths of gladness. He has put on a white robe. He has given me a new name. He has adopted me as a child of God, and that is true for every one of you who have trusted in his son. And so we not only profit from Christ's death, but also his resurrection, which restores us to everlasting life, and so we are called to give thanks for the restoration to everlasting life. In the resurrection, God the Father answers the Son's cries for help, verse 10. Jesus says in verse 11, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Why? That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Before his death, Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. 
This is the night that he would be betrayed, and he prays, Father, my hour has come. The appointed time has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And this is what I want you to see. The glory of Jesus in the resurrection, verse 11 and 12 of our psalm, is equated with joy. God's going to get glory out of the Son's glory. And where do we rejoice? Because if we're in the Son, He's going to glorify us. And glory equals joy and celebration. And this joy and celebration... It's not at odds with God's glory. It is the glory of God that will bring us such joy and gladness. It is because of the resurrection of the dead that God's face will never be hidden from us. Instead, we'll see him face to face on that day. Because we will be like him in glory, the scripture says. We'll be transformed and restored completely to the image of God who has been lost in our fallenness. We'll be restored as his children. Adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And we will be his forever. And it's for this reason that we give thanks forever and ever and ever. Let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus like this? Do you know him and his glory? Do you see him? And that brings you joy. This psalm calls us to find our life in Jesus as the risen king. And if you do not know him like this, he invites you into relationship with him. He calls you to turn from your ways and to follow him. To forsake your sins, your pursuit of happiness in the world, to deny yourself and flee your selfish desires and follow him wherever he may go. He calls you to find refuge in him. Do you find refuge in Jesus? Or do you find refuge in other things? If you find refuge in Jesus, you can join the people of God who gather here. Sunday after Sunday, dispersed throughout the week, but we gather here as a family. As baptized believers who've confessed Jesus as Lord, just so you know, none of us have it together. So if you're sitting here thinking, man, they are so clean. Nope, we just got cleaned up today. <laughs> we don't have it together. That's why we're here. Just get to know us. But you know who does have it together? Our king. Right? That's why the people rejoice. Because the favor has come upon David's son, Jesus the Christ. And all who are his people receive all the blessings that are his. That's the good news of the resurrection. And the good news of the gospel which this church proclaims. And we want you to be a part of it. Because what is true of Jesus is now true for everyone who believes. Because Jesus was not abandoned to the grave, neither will we who trust in him. Because Jesus triumphed over his enemies, so it will be made known to the world that we truly are the children of God. Because Christ suffered the full weight of God's wrath, 
God's anger has been absorbed never to be poured out on us. And because Christ was raised from the dead never to die again, so we will be restored to everlasting life. This, my friends, is the joy that comes with Easter morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, as this psalm instructs us, so we do. We want to sing praises to you, O Lord, as your saints, as your people. We want to give thanks to your holy name. Lord, thank you that your anger and your wrath, oh, it's just for a moment. But your favor is for eternal life in Christ. Oh, Lord, I know there are some here today who are weeping, who are hurting. And let this psalm remind us as we think of the resurrection that, yes, weeping may come for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And just as you raised your son from the dead, so you will not abandon us to the well of death. You will raise us up on that day. And it will be a glorious day. And Lord, I pray for any here today who do not know you, who've never confessed you as Lord, have never bowed their knee, who never believed in their heart that you were raised from the dead, who have not said, you are my Lord, my master, and my king. Lord, I pray that you would open up their heart today, that you would give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and that they would find blessing in your name as they join your people, your church, the people who will last forever upon whom the end of the ages have come. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and let's sing Christ arose.